A'udhu Billah Minash Shaitan Ar-Rajeem Bismillah Ar-Rahman Ar-Rahim In the name of God, most merciful, ever merciful And may God's peace and blessings be upon his holy prophet Muhammad And the purified members of his household and progeny Allahumma salli ala Muhammad wa ali Muhammad wa ajil farajahum Brothers, sisters, respected viewers Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh And welcome once again to Life, the Islamic Answer Series in which we're trying to understand the spirit of our religion and understand the teachings of our religion in a way that allows us to live Islamically, live according to these teachings and principles, despite the complexity and the ambiguity and the novelty of a lot of the things that we encounter in today's world. The theme that we were talking about is the theme of knowledge and reason in Islam. And we had reached a point where we were trying to understand what makes a certain type of knowledge Islamic. And we said that there are two conditions. If they are met, then that knowledge becomes Islamic. The first of these conditions is the intention with which it is acquired and how it is used and secondly that it results it leads to action that it has to become the knowledge has to become what we refer to as transformational the discussion that we've been having over the past few uh, lectures has really focused on the first of these conditions, the condition of sincerity. We began with a discussion on sincerity as it relates to knowledge. So we said that in Islam, acquiring knowledge has to be related with, associated with having the right intention. If you do not acquire the knowledge with the right intention, that knowledge no longer becomes an Islamic knowledge or a knowledge that meets the criteria we've been talking about, the knowledge for which you would be rewarded, the knowledge for which you would be uh, compensated by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And inshallah, that first topic, sincerity as it relates to knowledge specifically, that one is done and clear and well understood. The second component of that discussion is a lot more general. We want to understand, because we want to move to the next topic, which will be action. The knowledge has to lead to action. Before we get to action, we have to understand the role, the place, the importance of sincerity as a condition for action. And so we're taking the time to understand sincerity in general in Islam. So sincerity and intention, so niyyah and ikhlas in Islam. Until now, I think we established clearly that achieving sincerity, which is the highest form, the purest form of intent, is the ultimate purpose of our religion, the ultimate purpose of worship, the ultimate purpose of faith, of religion, is to achieve that highest level of intention, purity of intention or sincerity. And that on its own, as we said, 
basically summarizes, synthesizes the entire faith, right? Achieving that level. Secondly, we saw in the narrations that clearly intentions are of many, many different degrees, ranks, stations. We can start simply with the idea that your intent should be good, right? You have a niya and the niya is hasan, okay? Husnan niya, a righteous or good intent. And it keeps going higher and higher in purity until it reaches what we refer to as ikhlas. And even ikhlas is an infinity of ranks, okay? You could have a lower level of ikhlas and you can have a much higher level of ikhlas. And we saw in the narrations that this is very clear. Those who are at the higher level of ikhlas, it's not some people are uninterested, for instance, in what others may think of them or the work that you're doing. You're really focused on yourself, your relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It doesn't really matter to you whether someone is paying attention to what you're doing, someone is going to praise or not, someone is going to compliment or not, someone is going to notice or not. It doesn't matter. You're indifferent. That's a pretty good level of ikhlas. But we saw that there are much higher levels of ikhlas where in the narrations we were told those people dislike being complimented, dislike being praised. That's a different level of ikhlas. It's not that I'm indifferent. Indifference is one level of ikhlas. To actually dislike it genuinely, not, not with words I dislike it, to actually feel the dislike, that you're uneasy, that you don't want others to notice what you're doing because this is something that you're presenting to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This is part of an intimate relationship between you and God. You don't want anything to come in between. So someone praising, someone complimenting, it's going to distort that relationship. So these were some examples. Of course, we spent a lot of time on this. So inshallah, all of this is, is clear. The other very important point, I think, is that we highlighted the importance of ensuring that we have intent in everything we do. So this goes beyond our acts of worship. Yes, acts of worship, we really have to take uh, good care and put a lot of energy and invest a lot of time to make sure that we reach levels where when we're doing an act of worship, we actually do it with the right intent. When I'm praying, I try to stay focused in my prayer that I don't get distracted and so on and so forth. Okay, but then we saw that there's a way to apply this to the rest of our lives. And we saw the narrations, the Holy Prophet talking to Abu Dhar, for instance, when he tells him, make sure that you have intent in everything you do, including when you eat, including when you sleep, right? So this means that everything that you're doing is now going to have uh, an intent. That intent is going to transform that very trivial action into an act of worship. It becomes sacred. It, even as you sleep, now you are in a relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Even as you eat, you're now in a relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And it also means, and this was the, the part that we're trying to say, apply it to your lives individually, socially, we all need to do this, is that you actually live your life with intent. You're constantly examining the reasons why you're doing anything. If this becomes a second nature, before I do anything, before I say anything, before I perform any act, before I join any group, before I go anywhere, if I'm constantly re-examining, I want to do this for God, am I really doing this for God? 
Or is there another intent? And if I'm doing this for God, how, how should this be? What if there's injustice in this? What if I'm siding on the right, on the wrong side here? And this is going to apply to everything I do. How I buy a car, how I buy my clothes, which brands am I promoting, which stores am I going to? Because now everything has intent. And this is where we said the more you actually apply this, at one level we apply this kind of in a blind way. Our religion says to have an intent before everything you do. And so we just do it. But in another way, you apply this to everything you do and it changes who you are and how you live in society. You become someone with a critical mind in everything you approach. And this is all based on religion. This is not just because of who you are. This is because it's a religious position to take, to have that critical perspective, to look at everything from that lens. What does God say about this? What would my religion say? What are the teachings of my religion about something like this? Right? And so this transforms people who are simply blinding, blindly following everything happening in the world as part of the masses. You're just another mouse running in your wheel, making the big machine work, to people who are actually a lot more critical and more aware, more actively aware in what's going on in your surroundings. So inshallah, all of that is, is clear. And we focused a little bit last time when we met, the question that we were trying to deal with had to do with uh, quality versus quantity, as we called it. So we're starting to look at the relationship between intent, intention and action. Which one is more important than the other, if there is one that is more important. And this obviously leads us to the discussion of quality versus quantity. And we ended with the narrations that are very explicit. We established the principles in general, but then the narrations that we were looking at, the hadith, were very clear. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala clearly says, you do a little bit for me, but it's truly for me, and it's going to count for a lot. It's going to be abundant. And if you do a lot, but it's not for me, if it's for any other reason but for me, no matter how much you do, you will do a lot. No matter how much you do, it will always be little. Right? And so this opens that whole discussion of quality versus quantity. And of course, performing an act, even within religion, I pray, I fast, I give charity, performing an act because I have to, versus performing an act with true intent. I pray with intent, I fast with intent, I give my charity with intent. It's going to give another quality, a lot more meaning, a lot more significance to that same act. Two people are performing the same act. Externally, someone may look like they're performing the act a lot better than someone else. But that's not the true measure. The true measure is what's going on inside. The true measure is with which intent is this being performed. Right? So inshallah, those points were um, clear. And this will be the segue to continue with that discussion where we want to now look at the higher level. So what we established until now is that clearly the intent is more important than the action itself. Inshallah, we'll come back in our conclusion of this section 
because obviously there's a remark we we may all be tempted to to slip in there as a to play the devil's advocate to, to fall into that argument does this mean that you know actions are not important and so i can become someone who is really just focused on my intentions and so long as what's in my heart is good and so on and so forth and we've already answered this in multiple ways until now if we really understand what sincerity of intention means so we will come back to that and, and state it clearly at the end. So we'll park that for now. But now we want to talk about, we understand that intent or intention is important. But how important is it? And is it important to the point of actually saying it's all that matters? Okay, so intent is, more, is important. We established that. In fact, intent is more important than action. And we saw the narrations talk about this. What really matters is your intent, not that you stand and you sit, as Imam said in prayer, for instance. This is the part of your prayer that is considered prayer, the part that you have ikhlas in, as the Imam was saying. So we understand that it's more important. The next question is just how important is it? And is it important to the point of saying that's all that matters? Okay? So let's continue with the hadith. So the next hadith we have is from Imam Ali alayhi salam. So let's start with the general narrations as we usually do. We warm up and then we get into the more detailed narrations. Imam Ali alayhi salam says, La amala liman la So the one, as we said, these are the general ones. The one who has no intention has no action. So this is a first principle. Then everything we're going to say is going to be a derivative of this. The one who has no intention has no action. So the main interpretation here is that your deed is going to be what? When you have any deed, when you perform any deed, that deed, if you were to see the worth of that deed, the value of that deed, the worth of that deed is going to equal to the intention behind that deed. So that's first. So if, and there's maybe two scenarios we could think of here. The first one is, I perform an act, but I have no intention. There's absolutely no intention. I'm just performing an empty ritual. I shouldn't have said empty. I'm simply performing a ritual. Then that is, an empty ritual because it has no intent behind it. That's one. Sometimes I may be performing something that looks good on the outside, but the intent behind it is not good. And we saw a hadith about this. That's why we were seeing the hadith that talk about niyatul mu'min khayrun min amalih, niyatul kafiri sharrun min amalih. Right? So the person who is performing the deed. Don't look so much at the external appearance of the deed, which is all we have access to in this world. As human beings, that's all we see. The outside, the external, the appearance of the deed. Well, Imam Ali says, لا لمن لا There is no action. There is nothing being counted to this person who has no intent. And if there is a bad intent, then regardless of what it looks like on the outside, on the, in reality, this is a bad action. That's one. The alternative interpretation that I wanted to give to this hadith 
So I think that the 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 obvious interpretation is clear to everyone. La amala liman la niyatala. Khayrun man amale. Wa niyatul kafiri sharrun man amale. And and there were, this was part of a number of narrations. This was one example that we saw in the last lecture. The other interpretation of this hadith. So it says, La amala liman la niyatalah. The alternative interpretation is that if you have no intent, if you do not intend to do something, you will never actually get to the action. So this is more the, I always say, we, we try to add an alternative interpretation or commentary for us and in the way we, we, in which we live our lives, the, the life coaching component of the course. You want to have aspirations, you want to have dreams, you want to have projects, you want to have goals. This can be understood as, well, you need to start somewhere. It's not going to happen on its own. You need to sit and intend it. You need to think about it and have an intention that will drive you to that action. It's not going to happen on its own in an oblivious way. You will not get to the act, you will not get to the action unless there is an intention first that pushes you. And the quality of that intention is going to go a long way in pushing you in that direction. How far and will you actually get to start working? Okay, so that's the alternative interpretation here. Second hadith from Imam Ali alayhi salam, he says, Al-amalu kulluhu haba' illa ma ukhlisa fih. All deeds, all actions are nothing but haba'. Haba' can have the literal meaning is when you look at a ray of, of light and you see little specks of things flying in, in the light. This is haba'. It's the dust little tiny minuscule hairs flying in the light. This is what's referred to as haba. But what it really means is something that is entirely, completely insignificant. Something without worth. So when he says, الْعَمَلُ كُلُّهُ haba, All deeds, all actions are insignificant, are without worth, are worthless. Except, إِلَّا مَا أُخْلِصَ Except those or the parts of those deeds that are done with sincerity, that are done with purity of intention. The hadith that we were looking at before were clearly stating that intentions are very important. In these hadith, what we're trying, what we're starting to see is that it's not only important, it's that it's entirely, the worth is entirely on the side of the intent. The action is starting to be completely secondary, right? The act in itself, the Imam says, is worthless. And the formulation of the Imam here is noteworthy. The manner in which Imam Ali السلام, is saying it, it's as though he's saying there is a default position and then there's an exception. The default position is that actions are worthless. By default, every action is a worthless action. It's insignificant. 
The act in itself carries no worth, no value, no meaning. العمل كله هباء يغين Absolutely nothing. Right? Except إلا ما أخلص فيه Except Either you say, except those deeds for which there was purity of intent, or the portion of the deed that had purity of intent. But this is quite a different way of approaching it than to say, you know, you may have purity of intent or not. This formulation, when the Imam says it this way, it's really to draw your attention to something. It's to really raise the bar. He says by default, all of your deeds are worthless. Except, so this is the exception. Which means what? Which means you have to go out of your way. Otherwise, by default, it's all worthless. And we said, this is something I've mentioned in the past. Of course, in the narrations, and this is, this is the nature, this is the personality of Imam Ali السلام, the standard is always very high. Right? If you go to other Imams, you always notice a lower standard. If you want the highest, the highest standard, go to Imam Ali السلام, right away and you have this virtue. There's nothing in the middle. Okay? There is worthless or you have sincerity. Choose your, choose your way, choose your path. The next hadith from Imam Ali again, السلام, he says, man kana lahu maqsadun Lost is the one who has, who had an objective or an aim other than God. That person is lost. And so therefore, if the person is lost, obviously the, the actions, the deeds they're performing are even more lost than they are. Okay, so the first, at a first level or a first layer here, why is it that that person is lost? At the first layer, we would say this person is lost or their deeds are, they are at a loss, they're losing out on something because they are putting in these efforts, but their objective is not Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And so religiously, theologically, we would say, these people are not getting any reward. So it does not amount to anything real that they're acquiring, that they're receiving in the afterlife. That's layer one. Layer two, and inshallah this opens the door to another discussion, is that in the end, in this world, we believe that we die, all actions stop. In fact, this whole world ceases to exist. There's nothing that is left. All that will matter is the next world. So whatever is being done for that next world, or in one word, it's being done with a divine aim, it is being done for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that will live on, because you've linked it to Allah. If it's not linked to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, it will come to an end. So if you are putting your energy and your effort and your time into something that ultimately comes to an end, and then you move on to the other reality and that thing that you have put in so much time and effort and energy into is simply not there. Is that not the definition of loss? There's nothing left from everything that you have presented, everything that you have invested, everything that you have contributed to this.
And so of course there is loss. But this opens the discussion to a topic that we're not going to get into right now. I simply wanted to link to it very quickly. You see in the... Depending on your, your worldview or the way you, you, you view religion, you might think, someone might think that religion simply assigns uh, a value. Something is good or something is bad, almost randomly. Religion says this is good and this is bad, and you have to have the blind faith in that religion to accept that this is good and this is bad, and therefore you act accordingly. Not because necessarily there is something intrinsically good, essentially good in that thing or essentially bad in that thing. It's something that is added to it, assigned to it, a matter of convention or randomness, especially for someone who doesn't believe in that religion. When we say, for instance, we're not supposed to eat a certain thing, why? It doesn't really matter why. That religion says, don't do this. This religion says, you have to do that. As though these things are supposed to be random. These religions are choosing this randomly. If you really look into these types of hadith, a hadith that says that everything that you're doing when it is not for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, it is simply equal to loss. This is loss. In, in the business sense of loss, right? You are putting in effort and energy and you get nothing in return. In fact, you're losing out. It's not neutral. And we've talked a lot about this. There is no neutral. There is no stagnation. There is no status quo. Everything you do or don't do is either a step up or a step down. So in this type of hadith, when it says... If it is not done for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, then it is necessarily equal to loss. These ahadith help us understand with the type of reflection that we did, that in religion, good and bad, or reward and punishment, they're not random. It's not a matter of convention that something is a loss or a win. When religion says this is good, it's because it reflects the structure, the nature, the essence of reality. It's intrinsically good. In essence, it is good. And religion is simply pointing out to that. It's giving us the direction. It's shedding a light on it and telling us that that thing there, it's good. And in addition to you matching yourself, aligning yourself with something that is good, and because you are part of this world, the more you align to that, the more you are going to be happy because this is your nature and you are part of this world. And so you're aligning with this system, with this structure. In addition to that, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, and I will also reward you for it. So you will get thawab for it. But the thawab is in addition to, but it also points to the reality of that thing. Same thing with the iqab. It's pointing to the reality. It's not a, a, a convention or simply randomly assigned value to something. So that suddenly, if it's not done for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Allah decides that this is going to be a loss. That's not what this means. This is an existential matter. This is a matter at the level of the existence of things. 
This is not something assigned to. You can add a layer to it and say Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will reward or will punish. But you wouldn't need to. If it is not done for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you're basically going against the, the structure of existence. And that's why it's a loss. You're putting in effort that will not give you any reward. That will not give you any profit. Not reward in the thawab sense. Okay, so that was just a, a sidebar, a side note that I wanted to add here. The next hadith from Imam Ali alayhi salam, again he says, قَدْرُ الرَّجُلِ عَلَىٰ قَدْرِ هِمَّتِهِ وَعَمَلُهُ عَلَىٰ قَدْرِ نِيَّتِهِ The worth or the value, let's say of a person, but I'm going to come back to this. The worth of a man is equal to his eager determination, himma. This is what defines you. This is what gives your value and your worth as a person. How much himma you have, how much eager determination you have. وَعَمَلُهُ عَلَىٰ قَدْرِ And the deeds of the person are equal to their intentions or their intents. So when we say himma, himma is a is one of those words that you cannot really translate with one single word in, in English. You could have, you know, eagerness, you can have determination, you can have resilience, perseverance. Um, the Imam here is saying that this is what determines your worth. How much of that do you have? What do you aspire to and how much drive do you have behind it that will get you there? This is who you truly are. This is your himma. How high do you aim and how much drive do you have to get there? Okay, that's layer one. And then obviously, because you have that drive and that aspiration, and there are no guarantees that you're going to get there. But to a large extent, or to some extent, how far you're going to get should be dependent on how much drive you put in, how much eagerness you have, how much resilience you had. Life is tough. It requires people with resilience and determination and perseverance to actually plow through, right? This is your himma. This is your ability to plow through, to bulldoze your way to get there. The Imam is talking about this. That's the first part. But this may lead to a misunderstanding. Someone may think, okay, so all that matters is that I get there. I will bulldoze my way there. I will do whatever it takes. I will move heaven and earth. So long as the ends that I'm aiming at are good, the means is secondary. So the, uh, the Imam adds here. You can understand this as a condition. You can understand this as, a, as an explanation of what he just said. He says, وَعَمَلُهُ عَلَىٰ قَدْرِ نِيَتِهِ So, yes, it's important to have drive and it's important to have determination and it's impor important to really try to get there, to have himma, to have those high aspirations, dream big, as we said. That's important. But at the end, what matters is not what you accomplished, 
It's not the deed itself, it's not the action itself, it's the intent behind that action. Right? So this is where he says, وَعَمَلُهُ So let's say you got there, the amal is performed now, the deed is done, the action is done. Beautiful. That's not all that matters though. You can have a lot of himmah, and you actually get there. But you, the there that you got to, that you were able to achieve or, or get to, was something that was all with the wrong intent, with the wrong reasons. Right? So it's not just a matter of getting there. What am I getting to? And with what intent did I get to it? Yeah, I had the additional remark here that I will say very quickly and we'll come back to this inshallah. We'll dedicate a, a part of a future series on this. But I thought that when the Imam here he said it, usually the Imams and the Holy Prophet when they're talking about a person in general, usually they use the word mar. Right? Here, perhaps there is a, an additional layer, an intent here from the Imam السلام, when Imam السلام, says الرجل, and perhaps because nowadays this is a very big, important, popular topic, topic of masculinity, and what it means, and what is toxic, and what is not toxic in masculinity. These are perhaps indications. If you go back to Imam Ali السلام, he's giving you an indication here. It's not that if you are a female, if you're a woman, that you don't have himma, or that your himma is not going to get you there. Of course it will. But here perhaps there, there is a defining trait in the man, a defining trait in masculinity to have this determination, to have this drive. You're supposed to be the one who has this resoluteness, this eager determination to move through, to get to that objective and to aspire high and try to get it. Okay, so perhaps there's a, an indication there. So simply a quick remark for now and we'll come back to that topic later. Here are, there's a number of hadith that have very similar wording. All of them around, structured, or worded in this way, this one from the Holy Prophet in which he says, يُحْشَرُ النَّاسُ عَلَى نِيَاتِهِمْ People will be raised in the afterlife. يُبْعَثُ النَّاسُ in other narrations, يُبْعَثُ النَّاسُ عَلَى نِيَاتِهِمْ يُحْشَرُ النَّاسُ عَلَى نِيَاتِهِمْ Imam Sadiq has a narration in which he says, يَوْمَ الْقِيَامِ on the day of judgment. Okay, in case it's al-ba'ath or Al-Hashr uh, is not clear. So in the afterlife, and this is something that we explained in detail in the belief series, we said one of the distinctions of the afterlife is that everything appears in its real form, in its reality. In this world, nothing is real. Everything is make-believe. Everything is appearances. In the afterlife, it's the exact opposite. It's all haqq. There's nothing but haqq. Right? You see the true connections between things, things that exist, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. يَعْلَمُونَ أَنَّ اللَّهَ هُوَ الْحَقْ الْمُبِينَ This is the afterlife. 
That's the criteria. And everything derives out of that, which is the exact opposite of this world. You have to look for that in this world, and that's why you get compensated for looking. So in the afterlife, it should go without saying that, of course, if your true nature is not really the appearance, which is the level of the action, but the intent, then of course the hashr, of course you are going to be raised, the manner in which you are raised is going to reflect all of your intentions. It doesn't reflect your actions. The manner in which you resurrected in the afterlife is not going to be an image of all of your deeds. Your image in the afterlife is going to be the image of all of your intentions. يُحْشَرُ nasu ala niyatihim. So this is the more graphic way of understanding the hadith. And we're going to come back to that inshallah later. Again, does that mean that deeds are absolutely worthless and let's stop doing any deeds and just focus on having good intentions? Absolutely not. And we'll come back to that. The, there's a longer narration from Imam Sadiq salam in which a man comes to him and tells him, I did something and is it okay for me to have done that or not? Clearly the man had done something wrong. But the Imam doesn't tell him you did something wrong, which is, you know, for us, knowing how the Imams behave with people and how they talk to people, if the Imam does not need to degrade the person or embarrass the person by telling him you did something wrong, you have to understand it from the answer. So the Imam doesn't tell him you did something right or you did something wrong. The Imam tells him, إِنَّمَا يُحْشَرُ النَّاسُ عَلَى نِيَاتِهِمْ You did that, and it is wrong what you did, but you did it with a good intent. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will forgive you. You did not know any better. You really sincerely thought that that was the right thing to do. And so you did it. So I thought I would at least add that, and then I would add in brackets. Of course, this does not mean that when we do something and it's wrong and then we realize that it was wrong that you know we just kind of wipe it under the rug and say I didn't know and you move on the idea here is in some cases there are people who really torture themselves with the guilt after having done something with all of the right intent intentions or intents and then later realizing that that was wrong. They should have behaved in a different way, decided something different, so on and so forth. If you did it with the right intent, these ahadith, and there's a lot of them, so long as your initial intent was good, first of all, inshallah, this means that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala forgives you. So that should be the major part of your guilt. The major part of your burden should now go away. So what's left is if you trespassed and there are rights that were abused, you did a wrong against someone, those things you need to go and rectify. But that's different from living with the guilt of having done something wrong and then realizing that it was wrong. Right? So this inshallah is clear. We can come back to that later. But the this is coming because it was part of the longer narration from Imam al-Sadiq in which the man came and told him, I did this. He joined a group of people who were fighting in the name of Islam. And then he didn't realize that he was doing something wrong. So he came to the Imam and he told him. 
And he told him, I have heard, so obviously some of your companions say that you're not supposed to join this type of thing unless you have a just imam leading it. So now what? What do I do? Obviously, I think I did something wrong. So the imam tells him, If you did it, and you did it with the right intent, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, inshallah, will forgive what you did. That's the, the guilt and the burden part of it. It doesn't mean that, you know, if there are rights, that justice needs to be re-established. You need to go out of your way to try to re-establish that justice as well. The next hadith from Imam Sadiq again, he says, part of a longer narration, and at the end he says, And the intention is better than the deed or the action. So he says, nay, or rather, the intention is the action. The intention is the deed. يعني, the Imam said, يعني, what, what does it mean when the verse says, كل يعمل على شاكلته, يعني على نيته. And this is important. This verse, so to say it in English, the Imam said, والنيته, and the intent, or the intention is better than the action. Rather, the intention is the action. And then he recited the verse, say each will act according to their own disposition or according to their own character or according to their own nature or according to their own self. If you go through the, the different translations of this verse, you'll see all of these as you know, translations of this verse because it's not easy to translate according to their own way, according to their own manner, according to their own disposition according to the way they are, another way to say it. Okay, so here the Imam explains what is meant here. In other words, people consider this to be ambiguous, right? The Imam here is giving another explanation of what this means, this shakile. You perform the deed based on your nature, based on what you are, based on your disposition, based on Based on what? So the Imam here says, based on your intent. Depending on what the intentions that you carry are, which open the door to another topic we've touched on, which all of these intentions basically amount to your state. You have an internal state. This is who you are. And you get to mold that internal state. You get to shape it. You get to change it. You get to color it however you want. That part is in your control. What's your internal state? So a huge part of that, this is where your intentions are, are living. So the Imam is saying, each will act according to their intentions. So what really matters is not the act that you performed, what really matters is the intent behind that act. And so the Imam is justifying what he said earlier when he said, to أَفْضَلُ مِنَ amal." And again, just like we said in the hadith earlier of Imam Ali we have to pay attention to 
the manner in which the imams express these realities. He could have just said, niyyah is a lot more important than amal, or you know, all that matters is niyyah, or something like that. The imam didn't. He started by stating something, and then he elevated it. Right? He didn't need to do that, but he did. This is to draw your attention to something. This is to state the point a lot more forcefully, in case you miss it. I really want you to pay attention to what I'm going to say here. A niyyah, the intent, is a lot more important and a lot better than the deed. In fact, the Imam says, in fact, the niyyah is the deed. That's how much you have to focus on the niyyah. Not the deed, not the act. Right? But the Imam intentionally does it this way. And this is also a side lesson for us to keep in mind. The presentation is important. How you get your point across is important. Use all of the devices you have to get that point across. These are devices in the language, right? The rhetoric that you use has to be effective, has to lead the listener, has to lead the person who wants to learn, to learn it in the most effective way. So here the Imam says, the intention is the deed. And that's the, the, the punchline or the takeaway from this for us. The next hadith from the Holy Prophet he says, again, there's a number of a hadith here related to this. The Holy Prophet says, وَإِنَّمَا لِكُلِّ مْرِئٍ مَا نَوَى فَمَنْ كَانَتْ هِجْرَتُهُ إِلَى اللَّهِ And this one actually says فَمَنْ كَانَتْ هِجْرَتُهُ إِلَى اللَّهِ وَرَسُولِهِ فَهِجْرَتُهُ إِلَى اللَّهِ وَرَسُولِهِ وَمَنْ كَانَتْ هِجْرَتُهُ إِلَى دُنْيَا يُصِيبُهَا أَوْ امْرَأَةٍ يَتَزَوَّجُهَا فَهِجْرَتُهُ إِلَى مَا هَاجَرَ إِلَيْهِ so here the Holy Prophet is talking about some pretty big, serious life decisions that people are making. He's talking about migration. He's talking about people who are uprooting themselves and going to live elsewhere. There is a hijrah here. And then if we look at what he's saying, he's saying even that has to be done with the right intent. The act, the deed may look like you're doing something huge. Right? And it's supposedly because you're in this environment, all of these are supposed to be followers of the Holy Prophet and you're doing it for all the right reasons. It should go without saying that everybody is going to get rewarded for these huge sacrifices that they're making. And No, no, it's not that easy. Small or big, the act has to have an intent. If that intent is truly for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, then you get your full reward and more. But if it is not, then whatever you worked for, other than God, that's what you get, and that's all you get. So the hadith in English says, truly, actions are in accordance to their intentions, and to each what they intended. Okay, so that part, inshallah, is clear. And everyone shall receive the rewards of what they intended, that are equal to what they intended. 
So whoever migrated towards God and his messenger, then the migration was truly towards God and his messenger. What makes it truly? The intent. And whoever migrated to acquire the things of this world, or as an example, a woman to marry, maybe that was the reason why you did it. Then the Holy Prophet simply says, then his migration, then their migration, was towards that to which they migrated. If that's why you migrated, that's all you get out of the migration. You want to achieve something of this world, that's why you moved, that's why you performed this migration, then that's all you get out of this migration. Don't expect anything more. The next hadith from Imam al-Rada alayhi salam, he talks about the Holy Prophet He says, إن رسول الله صلى الله عليه وآله أغزى عليا عليه السلام في سرية وأمر المسلمين أن ينتدبوا معه في سريته فقال رجل من الأنصار لأخ له أغز بنا في سرية علي لعلنا نصيب خادما أو دابة أو شيئا نتبلغ به فبلغ النبي صلى الله عليه وآله قوله فقال إنما الأعمال بالنيات ولكل امرئ ما نوى فمن غز ابتغاء ما عند الله عز وجل فقد وقع أجره على الله عز وجل ومن غز يريد عرض الدنيا لم يكن له إلا ما نوى So Imam Rada alayhi salam is saying that the messenger of God sent Imam Ali alayhi salam on a military expedition and he ordered the Muslims to join him in this expedition. So a man from the Ansar, from the supporters, those who were living in Medina, who greeted the Holy Prophet and hosted him, he said to one of his brothers, to a brother of his, let us join Ali's expedition. Perhaps we can put our hands on a slave or an animal that we can ride or something that we can use that makes it worth our while. So what he said reached the Holy Prophet who then said, actions are in accordance to their intentions and to each what they intend. So nothing more, nothing less. So whoever joins the expedition, hoping to acquire that which is with God, his reward shall be provided by God. And whoever joins the expedition hoping to acquire the things of this world, they shall get nothing except that which they intended or intended to get. So obviously there's a very specific situation here. But again, I think it's not difficult to apply this to ourselves and our lives and everything that we do. And the Holy Prophet here is talking, we don't need to give a full lecture on this, the importance of these expeditions and what it could mean. You're basically going to a situation of life and death. Right? This is the ultimate sacrifice. And in this case, the Holy Prophet is very clear. You might still not be doing it for the right reasons. You're putting your life on the line, as this man said, so that, you know, we put our hands on something that may be worthwhile. 
So the Holy Prophet is saying in those cases where you are doing anything, no matter how big of a sacrifice, how much work, how costly it may seem on the outside, you still have to take the time to examine your intentions. Are you really doing this for the right reasons? So that this not, does not become, as Imam Ali السلام, was saying, just a pure loss. You're putting in all this time and all this effort and all this money and your life is on the line in this case. And in the end, all you're trying to really do is get an animal to ride, for instance. You may lose all of that for the animal to ride that you may or may not get at the end. Okay? The next hadith from Imam al-Rida he says, إِذَا كَانَ يَوْمُ الْقِيَامَةِ On the Day of Judgment, أُوْقِفَ الْمُؤْمِنُ بَيْنَ يَدَيْهِ The believer will be brought forth and made to stand before Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. أُوْقِفَ الْمُؤْمِنُ بَيْنَ يَدَيْهِ فَيَكُونُ هُوَ الَّذِي يَلِي حِسَابَهِ So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala becomes the one who will be in charge of judging the believer himself directly. فَيُعْرَضُ عَلَيْهِ عَمَلُهِ So his deeds, this believer, his deeds will be presented to him. فَيَنْظُرُ فِي صَحِيفَتِهِ He'll start looking into his register. فَأَوَّلُ مَا يَرَى سَيِّئَاتُهُ فَيَتَغَيَّرُ لِذَلِكَ لَوْنُهُ وَتَرْتَعِدُ فَرَائِصُهُ وَتَفْزَعُ نَفْسُهُ So the first thing that this person is going to notice will be their sins, their evil deeds. So the Imam says his color will change, his body will tremble, his soul will be in terror. Then, the Imam says, ثم, So after this, ثم, uh, After he notices his sins, his evil deeds, he also notices his good actions. So when he notices his good deeds, it will bring delight to his eye, joy to his self, happiness to his soul. And then, ثُمَّ يَنْظُرُ إِلَى مَا أَعْطَاهُ اللَّهُ مِنَ الثَّوَابِ فَيَشْتَدَّ فَرَحُهُ فَيَشْتَدُّ فَرَحُهُ He will notice what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has prepared for him in terms of rewards. So this will intensify their joy, this person's joy. ثُمَّ يَقُولُ اللَّهُ لِلْمَلَائِكَةِ Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will say to the angels, هَلُمُّوا بِالصُّحُفِ الَّتِي فِيهَا الْأَعْمَالُ الَّتِي لَمْ يَعْمَلُوهَا Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells the angels, bring the registers of the deeds that they did not perform. So the, the, the registers are brought. قَالْ فَيَقْرَؤُونَهَا فَيَقُولُونَ So they will read them and they will say, the believers will say, وَعِزَّتِكَ إِنَّكَ لَتَعْلَمُ أَنَّا لَا لَمْ نَعْمَلْ مِنْهَا شَيْئًا By your might, they swear, we swear by your might, you know that we did not perform any of these deeds. These are deeds that the believers have not performed. And they're good deeds. فَيَقُولُ Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala فَيَقُولُ صَدَقْتُمْ لَكِنَّكُمْ نَوَيْتُمُوهَا 
فَكَتَبْنَاهَا لَكُمْ ثُمَّ يُثَابُونَ عَلَيْهَا You say the truth. It's true that you did not perform these deeds, but you intended to perform them. So therefore, we wrote them down for you, and then they will receive their rewards for these deeds. A few things to notice from this narration. The first one is that this is not for every human being. The key is in the beginning of the hadith. This person that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is treating in this way, the Imam begins by saying, So this person is a believer. So the belief of this person is already good enough. That's one. The second thing to notice is that, and I think this makes the hadith very relevant, it's that these people, when they look in their sahifa, when they look in their register, they notice bad deeds, they notice sins, and they notice good deeds. Which basically, to me, tells us this is our category. This is why it's relevant to us. We're not talking about the people who have no sins. We're not talking about those who have just a clean slate and a clean register and only good deeds. Right? That's why the Imam described the state of those people, that their bodies are trembling and their colors is changing and their soul is, in, is terrified because they are noticing their sins. But they are also extremely hopeful because they've done, and that's the other key point, they have done good deeds. They have done a lot of good deeds. And so the good deeds are giving them hope. When they notice the bad deeds, they're afraid, they're in fear. But when they look at their good deeds, now they have hope. They say, okay, we did have good deeds. And so the Imam says it brings delight to their eye. And it brings joy to their soul. They see all the good deeds that they performed. And so, to me this says, as important as those intentions are, let's at least try to match this level. That we reach the afterlife, we leave this world, in a state of belief, in a state of at least having done some good. That inshallah, when we look in our register in the afterlife, then we can have something to, that will bring us this delight of the heart, or the eye, and the joy of the heart or the soul. You can't get to the afterlife and you've done nothing, simply expecting to get the rewards and get to heaven based on your hope and your aspirations or only Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's mercy. Right? So the Imam is clearly talking about a certain category of people. I don't think it's difficult to match this standard. For us, I think, all of us, it should be very attainable to say, I am a believer and I do good. And yes, sometimes I am weak and I slip, but I do good at least have that level of intent and work towards it and feel reassured that you are there and then once that part is secured then let's look at the end of the hadith and the end of the hadith I think is absolutely beautiful here the imam is introducing a new notion we've been talking about the 
in, in theory, we've been talking about the importance of the intents, the intentions. Here the Imam is making it very real. And you will notice that in the hadith that are more detailed, you will see these images making things a lot more real than just leaving them at a notional level, at a conceptual level. No, the Imam is describing the process of being judged by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And he says, not only are your good intentions recorded, and not only are those people being rewarded for them, no, in fact, there's a completely separate sahifa that is put aside just for those intents, those really good intents, intentions that you have, and you never actually get to do. And if you go through the ruwayat, the hadith, you see there is a number of suhuf that every human being is going to go through. You have one in, in the Quran, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala talks about re, a register for every nation. You, we will be judged collectively. There is a collective responsibility and there are individual responsibilities. And this means that at every circle of duty and responsibility, there is a judgment and there is a register that goes with it. The deeds that you do for yourself all alone between you and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, those are a different kind than the deeds that you have to do with your family, than the deeds that you have to do with your community, society, history. Every human being has their own circumstances, their own situation. And so in this case, the Imam says, not only are they registered, no, no, they're registered in a very special book that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will ask to be brought forth. And this also, in addition to, I think, the power of the image and making things real, I think this also speaks to the notions that we've talked about at length, the notions of divine justice. There's nothing left to chance. There's nothing that's random. There is no room for injustice with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. If you do, as the Quran says, an iota, as something as small as مثقال ذرتن, right? The weight of a dharra, which is a tiny ant or a speck of dust. Then, if it is good, you will get good. If it is bad, you will get bad. In this world, I'll give you an example. If you work somewhere, those of you who are in the corporate world, you know how easy it would be to mess up numbers, files, you just lump things together and then you come back five years later and you try to go through them and you'll see the mess and things are not labeled properly, whatever it may be. This ruwaya to me is dealing with that. There's not even room here to say there's a mix-up between the intent that actually became an action and the intent that remained only as an intent. The Imam says it's actually put in a different register. Each one of these has its own label, its own register, it's organized. But all of this goes back to the notion of the divine justice. The divine justice is we are going to reward or punish you based on what you actually did. That's divine justice. But in, in this case, those people intended things but they did not get to do them. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, and I will count these as well. So this is not justice, this is mercy. This is divine grace. This is divine favor. This is divine rahmah. That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will also add as a bonus everything else that can be used to help you up. Okay, so I think the, the, the image inshallah is, is clear. 
uh, from these types of uh, hadith. The short version of this hadith is this one from Imam Ali alayhi salam, in which he simply says, "Inna Allah Taala yudkhilu bihusni niyati wa salih al-sarira man yasha'u min ibadihi al-jannah." Allah Subhanahu wa Taala truly God Almighty will make through good intentions and righteous thoughts or righteous intimate states, those of his servants that he wishes, he will make them to enter paradise. Those people are entering paradise based on, there's two things the Imam here is, is mentioning. is clear. These people, there are people who will be made to enter paradise based on their good intentions, righteous intentions, and salih sarira They also have a very good sarira. What's sarira? Sarira is the, your secret states, your internal state of being, your internal thoughts, your secret thoughts, something that no one knows about, just like sir in Arabic, something that is secret, this is your hidden thoughts that no one knows about. Well, some people, they have really good sarira. Their internal thoughts are good. They're righteous. Imam Ali is saying there are people who will be made to enter. See, there's no mention of the actions here. They will be made to enter heaven based on their good intentions and righteous internal states. Righteous thoughts. Okay? And again, inshallah, all of these, this is going back to the idea that we said we will fi finish the, this topic with. We will not have time to do it today. Inshallah, the next time we'll wrap up this topic, we will end with that. Make it clear that it does not mean we are not saying that actions do not matter. Right? Inshallah, we're going to make that very clear at the end. There's a narration from... There's a narration from Imam al-Sadiq in which he says, uh, so this is narrated by Abu Basir, one of the companions, the very close companions, scholars of, uh, companions of Imam al-Sadiq He says, I asked Imam al-Sadiq, سألت أبا عبد الله عليه السلام عن حد العبادة التي إذا فعلها فاعلها كان مؤدية. I asked the Imam about the limit or the definition of worship. Which type of worship? Which if performed by someone, they would be considered compliant. They would be considered as having done that worship. Okay, because if you look at every ibadah, Abu Basir is a scholar. He knows what he's asking. If you look at every type, every uh, uh, act of worship, Abu Basir can see how many levels of it there are. So Abu Basir is asking the Imam, he tells him, what's the minimum, what's the limit that if performed by someone, they are deemed to have performed that ibadah? Kana mu'addiya, you know, you get the check mark that you have performed that ibadah. What's the minimum that I have to do so that if I perform a prayer, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala considers me as having performed the prayer? Because obviously there's some very high levels of prayer and we talked about them. 
where you have to have ikhlas, real ikhlas from beginning to end of the prayer. The same thing for fasting, the same thing for pilgrimage, the same thing for charity. Of course, those people who are able to achieve those high levels of awareness and focus and sincerity, they are at the higher upper levels of those acts of worship. What about the others? Those who can't, what about them? Are they considered to have performed the ibadah? Are they considered as, have, as being mu'addi? That they, they performed, they completed the ibadah or no? That's what Abu Basir is asking about. What is the limit of worship that if performed, the person is deemed to have, you know, to be compliant, to have done the ibadah? So you get the reward for it. The Imam answered, كَانَ مُعَدِّيًا فَقَالَ حُسْنُ النِّيَّةِ بِالطَّاعَةِ The Imam answers, he says, having the righteous or the good intent to obey or of obedience, in obedience. And so here we can understand it in two big ways. One way to understand this is to say, you perform the act, you perform the act of worship, and as you're performing it, you have a good intent. You have sincerity of intent as you're performing the act. And we said, what does it mean to have niyyah? What does it mean to have intent? If I were to cut you off in the middle of your prayer and I ask you, what are you doing? You have to be able to tell me, I'm praying to God. That's what I'm doing. You can't be so dozed off and distracted that you don't know what you're doing. That means that you've lost the intent here. Okay? If you can at least do that, and your intent, the Imam says, he adds, it's not only that you have intent, you have a good intent to do this as an act of obedience to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. If you do that, if you can perform anything with that intent, then this is the minimum required to be considered as getting the check mark that you are mu'addi, that you have fully performed that act. Are there higher levels? Of course there are. That's one way to understand the hadith. So while I'm performing the act, I'm performing it with a righteous intent that this is actually for or in obedience to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as an act of obedience. The other way to understand the hadith is much more in line with what we've been talking about. The Imam is saying that he doesn't say you do or you do not do the act. To be receiving that check mark, to be deemed, to be considered as having performed the act, you have to have the righteous intent of performing the act as an act of obedience to God. Having the intent, if I have the righteous intent to perform the act, and I perform the act as an act of obedience to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the Imam is saying it counts as an act performed and you get the check mark. Now, here is where it can get ambiguous. Someone might say, okay, so I intend to do something good. I intend to pray. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is going to check me off as having prayed. Yes, he will. We will see the ahadith that say that. Where is the issue? 
The issue is what if I end up not praying? Okay, so here's what, where we have to go into the details. Why did you not pray? Did you forget? Were you forced not to pray? Because we're here the assumption in all these cases is sincerity of intent. You are sincerely intending to pray. You're not trying to play, play a trick on Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. I'm going to pretend to have an intent to pray. You can't do that. That doesn't work with niyyah. That's why the Imam said in the previous narrations, previous weeks, this is the one part that a human being can't trick. You can trick as much as you want with the appearance of your acts, but there's no trickery and there's no showing off and there's nothing at the level of the niyyah. So at the level of the niyyah, you truly, sincerely intend to perform the act and you do it as an act of obedience to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We will see the ahadith that say, you're ticked off as having done it. This is part of the graces of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So if you end up not doing it, then is it because you changed your mind, then you canceled your intent? Is it because you were something happened to you that prevented you from doing it? In those cases, it still counts. This is at the level of your reward. This is at the level of your the effect that it has for you in the afterlife. Does it mean that if I can't perform my prayer now, that I never perform it? No, that there's, this is where I have to go back to Islamic law and say, what happens if I miss a prayer? I really intended to wake up this morning and pray Salat al-Subuh and I missed it. I did what I had to, I put an alarm, I tried to wake up, it didn't work out. Does it mean that I'm off the hook because my intentions were good? No. In this case, Islamic law says you perform it when you can afterwards. You missed it, you go back and you perform it. You missed a day of fasting, you go back and you perform it. But at least if the intention was there, you had a sincere intention of doing it, then you are getting the thawab, you are getting the reward. There is a recognition from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for the, re for the intention of performing something good. You are getting rewarded for the intent to perform something good, so long as it's the right intent. To this hadith, I will add two little bullets and then we'll stop here. The Imam was asked, either it's the same hadith that was narrated to us, reported to us in an incomplete way, in the first one, or these are different instances, okay, where the Imam gave more details. We have other ahadith from Imam al-Sadiq and others. This one's from Imam al-Sadiq He says, when he was asked, what is had al-ibadah? So that someone is considered to have performed the act. He said, to have the righteous intent to perform the act as an act of obedience to Allah. But he added, From the angle from which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is obeyed. I can't come up with my own way of obeying Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that was already implied, but here the Imam is adding. The Imam initially said, what is, how do I meet this criteria of having performed the act? The Imam initially said, husnu and niyati bata'a, to have a righteous intent to perform an act of obedience. So here the Imam is adding a precision about the act of obedience. Don't make up the act of obedience yourself. No, it has to be from in the manner which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants to be obeyed. 
There is a proper way to obeying Allah. It has to be matching that. Okay, that's one. In another hadith, these two precisions, I think, add a lot of clarity. In another hadith, he says, same thing, but he adds, from or in the manner in which he was ordered to perform that act of worship. I don't make up my own prayer. I have a really good intent to praying to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. I just think it's silly that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala asks us to wake up in the morning. It's too early, sometimes it's three and a half in the morning. Who wants to wake up then? So I'm going to perform my act of worship in the way I see fit. You know, whenever I wake up, first light, when I open my eyes in the morning, I can do my own prayer, my own version of prayer to Allah. For instance, I could do that. I'm a good person, I have a good heart, I want to do it this way. Does that work? No, the Imam here is making sure it doesn't. That it's clear that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants to be worshipped in a certain way. He has ordered to be worshipped in a certain way. Your intent, if you want this act of worship to count even before you do it, your intent has to match that which Allah ordered. Allah ordered me to be good. Allah ordered me to pray. Allah ordered me to fast. Allah... How did he order me to do it? If he didn't prescribe a specific way, that's fine. It's up to me. I can do the act of charity however I want. But if it's my actual zakah, I have to meet the criteria of zakah. I can't play around with that. Right? So here the imam is adding two criteria that I think are going to be very useful for us and we'll come back to them. One of them we've been talking about. That's the whole topic of the series. How do I know? Well, I have to have knowledge. How do I know how does God want to be ordered, uh, obeyed? How do I know what is the order of God or the command of God for to be obeyed in a specific way? I have to acquire that knowledge. That's one. And two, when the Imam says, مِنَ الْوَجْهِ الَّذِي يُطَاعُ اللَّهُ مِنْهِ From, in the manner in which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has to be obeyed. Right? Or in the manner in which he ordered to be obeyed. Which means what? Which brings us back to the whole purpose or the whole point of religion. Why do we need religion in the first place? Because human beings will not necessarily know how God wants to be worshipped. And in certain cases, it doesn't matter. You can come up with your own way of worshipping God. In those cases, religion left it to you. You can do a million things that are considered acts of worship. And those things are not going to be prescribed by religion. Religion is not going to tell you you have to do it this way and at that time and in that place and wearing this and not wearing that. Right? But there are other things. Religion says, no, no, in this case, you perform the hajj, this is how you're going to perform it. You want to fast, this is how you perform your fast. And I'm going to prescribe it to you. Okay, so this is going to bring us back, that whole notion, because the imam is talking about intent. So why is it not enough? We've been talking about intent all along. Why is it not enough? Wouldn't it be enough for someone to say, well, I have the best of intentions and I'm going to have the best of hearts and I'm going to do it in the best way possible. I'm going to help others. I'm going to you know, be a good person this way and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will reward me for all of that. It depends. Based on this, what the Imam is saying, it depends. Yes and no. For those things that are prescribed by religion, the Imam says all of it counts. All of your intentions, not even the deeds, the intentions to do good are counting. So long as they match 
what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants from you. And if not, then you're kind of making up your own way. And those things that are prescribed, you can't make up your own way. You have to follow. Otherwise, it doesn't count as husn niyati This is no longer an act of obedience. In fact, it looks like an act of disobedience. When Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, I want you to worship me this way, and you say, I'd rather do it the other way. I have a better way of doing it. Okay, so inshallah, we continue with this. I think we, uh, we should stop here.